We're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together, you're able to discover Jesus and are encouraged to follow him fearlessly. It's worth celebrating. I love that. For more information on that, there's a flyer on your seat. You can partner with them for the Grace Family Charity this year. It's going to be an amazing opportunity. Also, you are more than welcome to go to the event on the 23rd. It's going to be amazing to see uh, your, your generosity make an impact on all these families. And you know, I just believe God's up to so many good things here at church, right? I mean, I love it. I love this season. I love what God is doing. And uh, man, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. You know, today we're kind of like jumping back into, it's kind of like a um, a, a freestyle week where Petey's like, preach whatever's on your heart. And uh, we've kind of this in between series and special events. We've been going through the book of John this year. And honestly, I've been, I've been avoiding this one a little because I haven't been very excited about it until now. It's kind of one of those passages that are like, it's kind of difficult. But as I've dug into it and studied it more, I'm like, man, there's a lot of life-giving gospel message in here that I cannot wait for you to hear. But hey, you know what? Before we jump to that, let's just pray. Let's just ask for the Holy Spirit to come, have his way this morning. Jesus, we're so grateful for you, for your word, for the local church, for the encouragement that we get worshiping alongside people who believe the same. And for those who don't believe, I pray that we would see you today and see your love for for us and that people would recognize that you've called them and you have a purpose for their life. And in this moment, God, all the weakness that I have, it's, it's not about me. I pray that Jesus would be seen. So take the insufficiencies, just like we sang, God, all that I have to give is what we've worked on together. And I pray that in this moment, the seed of the word of God would fall on good ground today. Guys, can you just do that in your heart right now? Just say, I'm ready. I'm ready. God, do it. Plant it in my heart. In Jesus' name. And church said, amen, amen. amen. Uh, so we, this last week for Thanksgiving, we went down to Louisiana, which is where we are from. Our family's there, and usually for Thanksgiving or Christmas, we'll head down to Louisiana, celebrate with family, and sometimes we fly, sometimes we drive. This year, with gas prices being so low and flights being a little bit more around this time, we decided to drive. And part of the path between here in Colorado and Louisiana that you end up taking is through Amarillo, Texas. Now, Amarillo is not really known for a whole lot, but there is one thing in Amarillo that every time we pass through, I've always wanted to do. There's a huge steakhouse in Amarillo, Texas, called the Big Texan. Anybody ever heard of the Big Texan? We've got a couple of you. We had like yeehaws in the first service. So I was like, all right, get it. And um, so there's a challenge there at this steakhouse, a 72-ounce steak meal challenge. If you eat it, it's free. If not, it's $72. I've always driven through and been like, you know what? That'd be amazing if I could do it. And I think I could. I've got a great appetite. So I'm like, you know what? This time I'm gone for it. Look at the size of that thing, 72 ounces. So I get in and I'm like, I'm pretty hopeful. I think it's going to go pretty well. So I've got a few photos to illustrate how it went. Here's me at the table. So, so they put you up on a stage with a timer and everything. You have one hour to eat it. And then I start eating it and you can kind of see through the next photos that I've kind of, at the beginning, I've got my game face on. I'm ready. I'm in it. Halfway through, I'm still kind of encouraged. And by the time I get to the end, I am in literal pain. I've never felt pain eating like that before. And honestly, I mean, it was like, it was a serious struggle. But I'll, I'll say this. I ate all of the steak, 72 ounces of steak. Don't, don't clap because there's more. 
Um, I didn't eat the rest of it. I ate, I ate the steak, I ate the salad, I ate the shrimp. I get to the baked potato and the bread left, and I'm like, I just can't do it. It hurts too bad, and not only that, I don't want to do it. I, I don't even know why I'm up here. This is a stupid idea. So I just, I had seven minutes left, and I just threw in the towel. I'm like, I just can't do it. What kind of person can eat this? I don't want to be that kind of person. So I just quit. And in the next photo, you're going to see the kind of pain I was in as well. I'm just like wincing in pain outside of the restaurant. And my son's trying to console me. Funny thing is, I still got a, a t-shirt. I guess in Texas, you get a trophy for everything, whether you win or lose. And I got a uh, try to eat it all shirt. So, so we're leaving. I'm in so much pain and we're leaving. I'm like, we got to get out of here. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I know that I can't just sit here. So we get in a vehicle, and the first turn that we make, I yell at Brooke, Brooke, you have to turn over now. you got to pull over now. I get out of the vehicle, and I hurl it all up on the side of the road. My kids are gagging in the back seat. I mean, it's, it's a funny moment for sure. It cost me $72. But what's interesting about this is I thought, as soon as I was like, actually, like not even halfway through the steak, I was thinking it's going to be a while before I eat steak again. And then I hurl it all up and I'm like, it might be a lifetime before I eat steak again. I, I effectively have canceled steak from this for the foreseeable future in my life. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, we, we live in a culture now, you know that word canceled, Right? Like, you know what that means because it's all around us. We live in what's even called a cancel culture where people say the wrong thing and they get canceled. You may even live in such a way where you've got influence at work or online or whatever, and you're worried about being canceled. What if I get canceled? And the truth is we're very finicky. It only takes one bad experience. To this point in my life, I've had great experiences with steak, but no longer. And it only takes, it seems like, one bad experience to like cancel everything, all that you've worked toward, everything that you've been, your name, your good name, all of it, it seems like it only takes a moment for that to be canceled. And in today's passage, we're going to be looking at in John 13, we're stepping into a story where Jesus has the opportunity to cancel not only one, but multiple people around him. Because he's stepping into, this is, we're going to pick up in John's account of the Last Supper. This is before Jesus is arrested and ultimately crucified on the cross. And those who are closest to him, you're going to see, begin to fail him in the most important moment in his life. So John 13, we're going to be reading in the NIV, verse 21. It says, Jesus, anticipating the cross and what's coming and the betrayal that he's about to experience, was troubled in spirit. And testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples stared at one another. So Jesus is saying, somebody's going to betray me. They all started looking around. Uh, at a loss to know which one of them he could have met. One of them, <laughs> this is so great. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was, re was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter, so Simon Peter has two names. We're going to come back to that in a second. It's really important. Uh, motioned to this disciple that Jesus loved and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, this perfect disciple asked him, Lord, who is it? What's fascinating about this is this is written, the four gospels are written by followers of Jesus. 
And this guy, John, was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and he's writing about himself, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. Everybody else he kind of tolerates, I'm the one he loves. By the way, I was leaning back on Jesus, hanging out, and, uh, you know, Peter, the one that apparently the church is built on later, um, he had to ask me to ask Jesus because I'm in between them. I'm kind of like, you know, the mediator between Peter and Jesus. So it's funny to me, I'm listening to this, and you just look at the account, and you begin to see humanity in a lot of this. I believe the Word of God is completely inspired by God, but it's got man's fingerprints on it on enough level to identify with these people. So you look at this, and you look at John, and you look at Peter, and I'm like, I can't help but see myself in this, because Peter is hearing Jesus say, somebody's about to betray me. It says all the disciples start looking around. And I think Peter is asking John to ask Jesus the same question that so many, us other, so many of us have. And here's the question. Am I doing better than everybody else? Am I the one who's going to betray you or, or am I doing better than everyone? Do I have to worry about any of this or are you talking about somebody else, right? Like this isn't me, this is somebody else. And what you see in Peter and what you see in John, I mean, John is writing about himself. I'm better than everyone else. I'm the one Jesus. Actually, John wrote in John 20, verse 4, later, Jesus is risen from the grave. And it says, John and Peter are running to the grave. And look at this detail. Both were running, but the other disciple himself outran Peter and reached the tomb first. How does his speed have anything to do with the gospel recollection? He's just like, by the way, I'm better in every way than Peter. <laughs> And you see this kind of like competition and comparison in the disciples in this moment. I really believe that comparison, though, it has the potential to cripple your race, your pursuit of Jesus. Because it is so easy to take your eyes off of Jesus and look at those around you. Because it's easy to settle for, I'm doing better than them. I, I, I'm okay. I'm doing better than them. And here, we're going to do a real churchy thing right here. I want you to turn to somebody on the side of you and say, you are not my competition. And look at somebody else, and this is even harder. Look at somebody else and say, I am rooting for you. I'm rooting for you. Here's why this is so hard. Following Jesus is a never, you never accomplish Jesus status, right? But, but what's crazy about it is Jesus has designed discipleship to where it's the ultimate fulfillment. I never become like him. I'm always pursuing him. I'm never going to be like, as, I'm never going to be as perfect as him. But there's something so life-giving about that. It feeds and fuels my soul. It's what we were created for. But the enemy will tempt us and your own flesh will tempt you to begin to compare yourself to people around you because it's a cheap win. It's a cheap thrill. Oh, I'm doing better than that. I'm doing better than that. So you can get caught up in that. And then if you're not, if you're not careful, it becomes, all, it becomes nothing about Jesus and all about just outdoing the other person. It's a lot more gratifying. I'm going to give you three things I want you to write down today as we dig in this. And here's the first thing I want you to get. Comparison lowers the bar Jesus' followers are called to. Comparison lowers the bar that Jesus' followers are called to. Taylor preached a great message just a couple of weeks ago where he said that Jesus sets the bar high. 
Jesus sets the bar impossibly high. But with the help of his Holy Spirit, we're able to hit things and accomplish things we never could on our own. But when you decide to compare yourself to others instead of Jesus, you lower that bar and you don't become who you were called to be. You can't accomplish and you can't step into the design that God has created you for. I remember years ago, I was a youth pastor still at the time, and my lead pastor had a meeting with me, and he was like, hey, let's just workshop leadership stuff in the future and improvement of the church. Um, What would you do? How could you see our church growing and benefiting in the future? And I'm I'm an arrogant, prideful young minister, and I'm like, I'll tell you what I would do. I would fire that guy and I'd fire that guy. I've heard complaints about them and I've seen, you know, just the way that they work and they're just not the right cult. They're not the next thing to take us forward. And I remember he looked across his desk from me and he said, if that's the mindset I had, I'd have to fire you too because people have talked about you in the same way. And I just remember thinking it it never even crossed my mind that people weren't so happy with the way I was doing ministry because I was comparing myself to those around me. The bar was too low. See, I had compared myself to those around me, and what ends up happening in those moments is you just think, if I could just be better than the next guy, then no attention will be brought to me you know, I can get away with certain, with certain things as long as I'm doing better than the next person. And I remember when we were in full-time ministry and I was leading a church, lead pastor of a church, God would do an amazing thing, the exact thing that we prayed for and people would be baptized or give their life to Jesus on a Sunday and I would be ecstatic. I'd be so happy to be thanking God until I sat down on my couch on Sunday afternoon to watch football and open up Instagram and I saw all the things God was doing in other people's churches. God had brought more people in attendance to their church. God had brought more people to the baptism tank for them. More people were discipled. And I just could not celebrate with them. I was jealous. I was upset that God would not do that for me. What's wrong with me? And I was in this place where I would compare myself to other people and I couldn't see what the good thing that Jesus was doing in my life. This was my story and it was beautiful and I couldn't see it because I was comparing myself to people around me. Here's a sole question for you. Can you celebrate the victories of those around you? Can you do that? If you can't, there's something off. Because here's the thing, when Jesus is the focus, when he's the goal, then your win is my win. And my win is your win. Because it's ultimately not about our name, it's about his name. But, but, but it's so easy to get caught up and I'm going to compare myself to you so that I can feel a little bit better about myself in the moment. And, and maybe, maybe you grew up and you're like, you know, you remember as a kid competing with your siblings for your parents' approval. Maybe now you're a parent and you're competing with the other parent for your kid's approval. Maybe at your workplace, you're competing for the next job, the next, the next role. You're, you're, everyone else is just in your way. Maybe in your small group, you're like, you're competing with the people that's around and you're all like telling people what God's doing in your life and you're being as authentic as you need to be so that you don't look like the worst person in the room. And you're hearing them and you're like, I'm just going to let them be the black sheep of this group. 
I'm going to be somewhat authentic, but not that authentic, because I just need to be better than them. And that's where the disciples find themselves. Jesus is like, somebody's about to betray me. Is it going to be me? Am I going to be better than the next person? That's the perspective that they find themselves in. Jesus answered in verse 26, after Peter asked, who's it going to be? It's crazy. Jesus gives them the answer. It's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, this is immediate. He's like, by the way, whatever, when this happens in the next three seconds, this is the answer. I'm dipping this piece of bread. He gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do it quickly. But no one at the meal understand why Jesus, understood why Jesus said this to him. How clueless do you have to be in this moment? The other gospels say the disciples were so dumb that they thought Judas, because he was in charge of money, was going to buy more like, like Thanksgiving turkey stuff. Like he was going to get left, like stuff for the Last Supper. They didn't see it. Jesus is like, here's the one who's going to betray me. And they're still thinking about themselves. Is it going to be me? Is it going to be him? Who's it going to be? They can't even see it. Their minds are so clouded. In verse 31, when he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man, which is the term Jesus used for himself to identify with his manhood, with the side of him that was man, is glorified and God is glorified in him. Now you're going to see this word a lot and we'll come to this, what this means in a second. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify himself or him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, I will tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by your love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That this is an amazing passage, so power-packed, these verses. Jesus is facing his brutal murder by the Romans on a cross. It's, it's a weapon designed by the Romans to not only murder someone, but to humiliate them in front of people. Jesus is anticipating that. He knows this is coming. And even later, he would ask the Father if there's any other way, but he knows it's coming. And in that moment, anticipating his gruesome death on a cross, he chooses to preach about love. He chooses to preach, you have to love each other. Like I've loved you. And to this point, I know they're just thinking, yeah, you've loved us. You've taken us with you. You've shown us stuff. And, you know, you've let us do ministry. But they have no idea what love means until they would see Jesus, the Son of God, lifted on a cross before all humanity. And Jesus is prophetically speaking this thing that's coming. This perfect illustration of flawless love. That's how you're to love each other. Jesus said, makes all these statements about glory, about glory, glory. God's going to be glorified and he will glory me. What does all that mean? Glory is like a total church word. I get it. It's not a word that you use at all outside of the church. So let me just tell you what it means. Glory, in this context especially, basically means weight. It's a term 
That has to do with the value of something associated with weight. That's what the the Greek meaning of that means. C.S. Lewis wrote a great book called The Weight of Glory. The weight that Jesus was taking on, that he understood was coming, going to the cross, the weight of that would end in glory. What Jesus is saying is that the glory that God is about to be seen and what he's about to give me is not going to come at a cheap price. It's going to cost everything. If you, there's a term, there's a term that if you were to take all of the rings and necklaces and everything that's in this room or even at your house that is gold, gold, which would mean gold-plated usually, if you took all of that in this room and every gold piece that's represented and you melted it down and you separated the either stainless steel or silver away from the gold and you were left with the gold and you weighed that, that weight of gold would be called the melt value. When everything else is taken away, that's the only thing that's left. That is the weight, that is the glory of that gold. And that's what Jesus is saying. When this world passes away, when everything else passes away that doesn't matter for eternity, me lifted up on the cross, showing love to the world and inviting you in a relationship because of what I'm about to do is the perfect representation of God, the perfect representation of love. That's pure in its purest form. And Jesus is saying, that is what I'm calling you to. That's what I'm calling you. And as great as that message is, Jesus is saying, loving one another is the perfect illustration of following me, not surpassing one another, not being better than, your, than the person on the side of you. As great as that message is, Simon Peter, in verse 36, just can't get the other thing out of his mind. He's like, great message. Yeah, that's, that's really nice. Um, by the way, Lord, where are you going? You said you were going somewhere. Um, where are you going? Um, Jesus replies to him, and this is so... This is so great because Jesus knew that Peter would end up paying a price later. He says to Peter, where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter is trying in this moment to prove his value to Jesus by his resolve. He's trying to say, Jesus, I would do anything for you. I would lay my life. I'd go to prison. I'd do it all. I'd lay it all down for you. He's trying to prove that he's valuable, that he means something, that he chose the right person when he called them to be from a fisherman to a follower of Jesus. Peter's got these insecurities in them that we all do. Jesus, I'm good enough, right? I'm good enough. I mean, look at the things I've done. Look at my resolve. Look, at them. look what I'm willing to do for you. And here's the thing I want you to understand. Second thing you're going to write down, note takers. Your value stems from Jesus, not your performance. Your value stems from Jesus. You don't cast your value onto Jesus so that you can be accepted. Your value comes from him, from the finished work on the cross. It's all about him. So (laughs) this is the crazy part. As 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 committed as Peter is and as loud as he's preaching in this moment, here's the bad news for Peter and the bad news for you. We all betray Jesus. We all betray Jesus. There's not a single one of us that Jesus was like, I don't have to give all my grace to them because they're so good. They're so great. No, No, all of us 
put Jesus on the cross. All of us have betrayed Jesus, and I didn't even realize it until the season in our life when we stepped out of being lead pastors and we just, we were just so tired and exhausted. And I just, I didn't know why, but I knew we needed to step away from that. And it was in that transition that God began to reveal some really disgusting things in my heart. And I began to realize that I didn't like people. I didn't love people. And some of us, we use the excuses, and I've done this a lot, where it's like, yeah, I'm just not a people person. It's just who I am. I just don't have a lot of grace for people. I got the gift of a prophet. No, you've got the gift of your flesh. You've got the gift of sin, and you need to crucify it. You need to get rid of that. And I remember thinking in those moments that, like, God, I've been doing ministry in your name for you, getting paid by the people that I don't even like. And I just realized there's some stuff off in me. There's some stuff wrong. I'm doing ministry in your name, but I'm not representing you very well. So all of us, if you, if you let the Spirit of God do it, you're going to realize and you're going to see there's some places of denial and betrayal in all of us where, you know what, I do not represent Jesus to a lost world. And here's the crazy part. In this story so far, Judas is the only one to betray Jesus. But Judas was just the first to betray Jesus. It says in Matthew 26, 56, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Every one of the disciples ended up pursuing their own safety over their loyalty to Jesus. Because they knew if they got caught with him, they would be crucified as well. They all betrayed Jesus. We all betrayed Jesus. That's the bad news. It's terrible. Here's the great news. That's not news to God. It might be news to you. And here's the thing. To this point in your life, you might be thinking, yeah, but I haven't really betrayed Jesus. I've been pretty faithful. Well, it's coming. <laughs> I'm sorry to break it to you, but it's just humanity. There's going to be a day, just like there's going to be a moment that Peter is not aware of yet, that Jesus is aware of. And Jesus is not surprised by it, and he has already covered it. Jesus has already forgiven you. No matter what is coming in your life that you can't foresee, he's already there. In Luke 22, it's fascinating because in, if you look at it in John, it's kind of like this whole passage is a little hopeless and kind of confusing. But I think there's a verse in Luke that is the same situation. But Luke, the doctor, ends up writing down a very important detail that I think brings life to this whole situation. It says... Jesus re responds to Peter, and Peter is saying, Jesus, I'm going to die for you, right? It's the last thing we heard Peter say. Jesus says this in verse 31 of Luke 22, Simon, Simon. So we said earlier there's two names that Peter has, Simon, Peter. This is where it matters. Jesus calls him first by his old name, the name that he had before Jesus met him, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. <laughs> I've prayed that it wouldn't, but I know that it will. This is what Jesus says. I, I don't want it to fail, but I know that it will. And, and look at this next thing. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replies, Lord, I am ready. 
to go with you to prison and to death? Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. What's going on here? This is very interesting. I don't think Jesus does anything on accident. He's doing this, and in this moment, first Simon is like, here's my resolve. I'm willing to die for you, everything. And Jesus is taking it easy on him. He's like, Simon, Simon, I need you to take it easy. And then Peter's like, just more of it, more of it. I'm going to go to prison. I'm going to die. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, you're about to deny me. Okay, I know you can't hear it. I know you don't believe it. I know it seems impossible for you right now, but I see what you can't see. Peter, you're about to deny me, but I want you to know something. I haven't forgotten who you are. Because when, when Simon Peter, before he was even Simon Peter, he was just Simon. Simon's a great fisherman, you know, and Jesus meets him. Simon's name, given to him by his parents, means to hear. Great name. But Jesus, when he meets him, he says, your name is going to be Peter. And then later, Peter makes a statement about Jesus. Jesus is like, who do you say that I am? People are saying a lot of stuff, but I want to know what you think. Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the one that we've waited for centuries for. You're the one that all the prophecies are about. You're the Son of God. And Jesus says to him, Peter... Remember that when I called you that back whenever we met originally? This is why I'm calling you that. In Mark 16, verse 18, after that revelation that Peter had, Jesus called him. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and that word Peter means rock. You're driving up to Pikes Peak. You get up there. You get out of the parking lot. You pick up a rock that you see on top of the mountain. That's Peter. That's what Peter means. And on this rock is what Jesus says. When he says, on this rock... It's not the rock that you just picked up, but it is Pike's Peak. It is the mountain. It is the mass of rock. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus is telling Peter, he said, Peter, you come to me with one identity, one name, and I'm giving you another identity, another name, and here's what it means. You are a piece of what I'm building on the earth. You are a piece of the foundation of the gospel that will transform humanity for all of eternity. You're a piece of that. I want you to get that. You're not just a fisherman. It's not all you are. You have purpose and you have meaning. And he speaks that into Peter. And Peter, for the remainder of his following Jesus until this last supper meal, is probably thinking, I'm Peter. Yeah, that's right. I'm about to do some stuff. I'm about to build this church. We're about to do some great things. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon. And then right before he says, you're going to deny me, he says, Peter, Peter, Peter. Listen, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And I think the reason Jesus is telling this to Peter, that he's using his new name, he's using his purposeful name right before he's about to betray Jesus, is Jesus is trying to put in Peter's soul, Peter, you're about to screw up. You're about to screw up royally, but you are still Peter to me. 
I am not rescinding the call on your life that I gave you all that time ago. No matter what you do, no matter how bad you screw this up, I am never going to revoke what I've put inside of you. I'm never going to remove my spirit from you. I put it in you on purpose, knowing even when I named you that, I knew what you were going to do. You're not surprising me by this. But he's trying to tell Peter, don't beat yourself up too bad. Come back, return to me, and strengthen your brothers. They're going to need you, but they cannot be encouraged if you live in guilt and shame after this. He's trying to tell Peter, I know you're going to screw up, but I still love you. And it actually has not changed at all. None of this has changed. Your past and your future, it does not disqualify you. Here's the last thing that you're going to write down. You're, you were uncanceled before you were canceled. You are uncanceled before you were canceled. And how does cancellation come? Somebody else can cancel you. You screwed up in their life and they're done with you. But how many times does it come from within? That we cancel ourselves and we know what we did and you did it this week and you did it last year and you did it a decade ago and you are swimming in shame and you cannot get out of it. You are constantly drowning and grasping for life and Jesus is trying to tell you what you did is not who you are. What I named you is who you are and all of that stuff, past and present and future, it's not the only thing that's happening in your life. I am the thing that's happening in your life that's more important than anything else. When we hear something like this, you're uncanceled before you're canceled, it throws off our understanding because we're linear. We live in a linear lifetime to where like we experience things as they come. You don't know what's coming tomorrow or this afternoon or next year. There's tragedy ahead of us. There's betrayal happening to us and betrayal coming from us. We don't know about all that, but Jesus does. We went to Disneyland uh, a couple of months ago, and we were at the park that has the Incredicoaster, whichever one that is. And I remember going to ride it with my kids, and I, I hate roller coasters. I hate, I hate movement. This is about the most movement I can handle. And, and I start to get nauseated. I just don't like, I don't like rides. So I'm there with my kids, and my kids, like, they want to do it, and I'm just going to show them, your dad's not a complete pansy. I'm going to do this one ride with you. And I do this ride, and I hate it. I can't stand it. It's the worst thing ever. Just like any roller coaster is the worst. In the moment, you know, you're like, you're going up, and you're like, I know what's coming. This is going to be bad. And you hit it, and you're screaming, and you're nauseated, and I feel my stomach just moving all around, and I just, I, I can't stand it. The, the turns and the twists and all of it are coming. And in that moment, it's like there's moments of, oh, finally, it's over. And then it's like, oh, no, here we go again. It's over, and I'm glad it's done. My kids ride this ride five times that day. And I remember standing on the side and watching them fly by me and hearing the screams as the turns come and watching the loop and trying to see if I can pick them out on each car and watching all of it happen and feeling so safe outside of that, feeling so different outside. It didn't affect me. It wasn't, it wasn't causing me dread and anguish. And I think God is just trying to say to Peter, and he wants to say to you and I, I don't live in the timeline that you live in. I don't experience all the stuff that you experience in a linear fashion. 
all the doubt that you have and the fear and the disappointment with yourself and with other people and somebody else is disappointed with you. It's, it's highs and lows for you. It's a roller coaster for you. So one day you're pleased with yourself and you know God loves you. God's got a call in your life. And then the next day, you screwed up so bad, God could never forgive you. And you begin to separate from God's people and you get away from the church and you say, God could never, he could never because of this, because of that. And God's trying to say, I don't live on the car with you. Yes, he is with us in the moment, but his perspective of your life is that I saw when it began, I saw when you got off, I saw the highs and lows in the middle, and I loved you through every part of it. There is nothing you could do to shake my love for you. It is perfect in every way. Before you were canceled or you canceled yourself, I uncanceled you. There is nothing you could do to stop me from loving you. Our denial and all the highs and lows, it's part of Jesus' story and his ultimate glory. And it's so hard to see that, but you're part of it. Those, the worst parts of our life just bring out the best parts of God. I love this last verse that I'm going to read in Colossians 2.14. It says that Jesus, because he was on the cross and what God did as Jesus was on the cross, he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. It says when God did that, I want you to get this picture. When God canceled the record of sin against you and he nailed it to the cross. What was nailed to the cross? It was Jesus. The Bible says also in Colossians, I think it's 1 Corinthians 5 actually, it says that Jesus became sin for us. All the shame and all the guilt and all the, all the stuff that you feel, God nailed to the cross in the form of his perfect son, Jesus, so that you could never ever be held back from God's love and his purpose for your life. It's perfect and it's complete and you are not that powerful to screw it up so bad that he doesn't love you. There's nothing you could do to take away the love of God, to take away the purpose of God. Just like he called Peter, Peter, before Peter stepped into the denial, he's still calling you today by the name that he gave you, new son daughter of God, all of that is never going to be revoked from your life. So no matter what you feel today, you feel shame. It's not God saying it. It might come from within. It might come from the enemy of your soul that wants to stop you in your tracks. But the only thing God is saying to you is I see it all and I love you. I see it all and I'll never stop loving you. You're perfect, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this revelation. And there's some of you in this room today that you came in today and you don't have a relationship with God. This, this whole church thing is new to you, and that's amazing. That's so, we're so glad that you're here. And I hope that today that you hear God saying to you, I love you and I see you and you don't have to do anything for me to be pleased with you, for me to, to, to earn my approval. I, I love you. All you do is step into relationship with him by saying, Jesus, I recognize I can't do it on my own. I see the sin in my life and I would choose today to walk away from that to lay down my life and follow you. 
and you're a new creation. It's as easy as that. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. You know, we give people a chance to just hear the Spirit of God. God, speak to people right now. Speak to people. Such a loving and compassionate way like you do. Call us in a relationship with you right now. If you're here in this room and you're, maybe you're here for the first time or you're here for the first time in a long time in a church environment, maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus or it's something that you did years ago and you would say, I'm not following Jesus right now. But this message has reawakened the desire to be a part of his family or shown you that you have a purpose for the first time. If that's you, nobody looking around, you'd say, I'm ready to give my life to someone who loves me that much. Count me in. I want to follow Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have figured out. All you need to do is say yes. If that's you today with nobody looking around, on the count of three, would you lift your hand just as a sign of saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus today. One, two, three. Lift your hand. Just lift it. I see it. I see it. see hands all over. Thank you, Jesus. I want to do something right now. I just want us to pray. Just if you raise your hand or you're watching online and you're praying this prayer with us, just pray a prayer of just surrender to Jesus right now. Jesus, we thank you that you love us no matter what we have done, what we will do. God, you love us. And presently, right now in this moment, we are loved and we are called in a relationship with you. There's nothing we could have done to undo it, nothing we can do to undo it. Right now, with that understanding, we choose to walk away from our sin to step into relationship with you, to the greatest adventure of our life. We choose to follow you today, Jesus. So have your way. I'm yours forever in Jesus' name. Guys, could we make some noise for those who prayed that today for the first time? For the rest of us, I know that there are many followers of Jesus in this room that just like me, we, we are riddled with guilt, and Jesus wants to say that's not who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. I love you. You're valuable. And as we worship, I just want you to just let the Spirit of God speak that over you, that you matter, that you, that you still have purpose in your life. Thank you so much for joining us for the Peak City message today. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church, or if you'd like to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, then check us out at peakcityco.com.